So this week I spent probably more hours uh, at Northwestern Hospital doing outpatient, outpatient visits than I did uh, in the church office. Uh, it was a strange week. Uh, you can hear some of that reflected in the sermon. Uh, you can also hear a little bit of a hum in the background. Uh, I was cold. <laughs> I'm in the basement and uh, my heater is on. So that's why you can hear the hum. All right. Thanks. morning, everyone. So we gather together this morning at the end of Epiphany. It's Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday before Lent begins. And as we approach the beginning of Lent 2021, the season of waiting begins again in just a few days. But I have to say, didn't, didn't we just do this? I mean, how can we be headed toward the season of Lent again, what feels like we never really left the last one? To me, at least, it feels like we've been stranded, caught in an extended period of anticipation and longing, waiting for the hope of new life and resurrection in our lives. A 12-month-long Lent that just never, ever seems to end. Well, this week, uh, I had my own terrible version of a period of extended waiting and anticipation and longing, a period of anxious waiting inside of an MRI machine. So folks like me with multiple sclerosis actually get pretty comfortable with MRIs. It's part of the regular cycle of check-ins to see whether treatment plans are working as expected. So I've done my fair share of time inside these loud, narrow, uncomfortable machines. And over time, uh, I've developed a method for getting through the experience. It's something that I'm actually pretty proud of. I like to call it the Anil Trivedi system for surviving an MRI, patent pending. The Anil Trivedi system involves the combination of lessons learned from previous MRIs, some yoga, some contemplative prayer, and then also the most important part is a strict commitment to never, ever, ever open your eyes inside the machine. It's a little bit silly, but it's worked for me every time so far. Every time that is until this week, because this week, my new doctor wanted images of, of three different parts of my brain and my spinal column, uh, and it meant I would be inside the MRI for almost two straight full hours, about twice as long as I'd ever done before. So going into the MRI, I was confident uh, that what I knew, what I was comfortable with, and the Anil Trivedi system for surviving an MRI would serve me well and get me through this new, longer, more intense experience. But I'll tell you, I hit a wall at about 75 minutes in 
and the rest of the way was just pure panic, terror, sweat, and misery. My tried and true methods for coping failed. And yet, during that last terrible 45 minutes, I returned to them again and again and again, over and over, because I didn't know what else to do. So after my experience in the MRI this week, I couldn't help but relate to Peter in today's gospel text. In this truly amazing story that reveals Jesus's divinity in an otherworldly light, the three disciples were left speechless and terrified. And it seems to me like Peter immediately got to work executing the disciples' system for surviving a transfiguration, patent pending. A method for interpreting and understanding this new revelation of Jesus, a new encounter with God's self. Now, we don't know exactly why Peter thought it was a good idea to build dwellings for Jesus and the prophets. Maybe it was an attempt to rationalize the events through the lens of an existing Jewish festival. Or maybe it was just a way of making himself busy. But what, if, but what we do know for sure is that Peter was afraid and he was encountering Jesus in a new way. In fact, just before heading up on the mountain where the transfiguration took place, Jesus had revealed to the disciples for the very first time the truth about his coming death and resurrection. And Peter responded to that new revelation so poorly that Jesus rebuked him, pretty famously saying, get behind me, Satan. So it's been a whirlwind of a week for Peter and the disciples. Peter was called Satan by Jesus. They've seen some dead prophets and heard the voice of God from a cloud. It's probably safe to say that they're struggling to find their footing a little bit. God was revealing God's self in new ways through Jesus, and the disciples were scrambling to catch up, struggling to understand what was going on. And it's no surprise that they tried to turn back to what they knew previously, to what they trust, to what had worked for them before. And you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's what we all do, right? In the face of uncertainty, in the face of fear, changes, pandemics, when we lose our footing, we turn to what has worked before, to the familiar, the safe, and the known. And so I think the beauty of the story of the transfiguration is that it's not a condemnation of Peter's attempt to make sense of a disorienting encounter with God. Instead, it's an invitation into something new, an invitation to trust in God's power and God's love, God's work in the world, an invitation to be transformed by God ourselves in Christ's own death and resurrection. The voice of God in the transfiguration it's a very clear and intentional callback to Jesus's own baptism. 
Earlier in Mark, we read that as Jesus came up from the waters of the Jordan, he heard God's voice say, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And here, in the transfiguration, the disciples heard the voice of God say, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The gospel writer makes a clear connection between this new revelation of God in Jesus and Jesus's own baptism. Well, we too can make that connection to, to baptism in our own lives when confronted with new disorienting events or struggles or revelations of God. A Lutheran understanding of baptism is a gift that emphasizes God's ongoing work and our own daily transformation. In baptism, God joins us with Christ in his death and resurrection, and we are transformed, reborn, not just once, but continually, each day. When we remember our baptism, we are freed to walk in newness of life. When we take on Christ's righteousness, we are transformed. And so, I wonder how we might see with new eyes the ways that we have rushed to build dwellings during this difficult, never-ending, 12-month pandemic Lent. How have we closed our eyes tight, just counting down the minutes until this disorienting, frustrating, uncomfortable time ends? Where have we relied on what we thought we knew before? And where might God's transformational love be at work in new ways? How might God be transforming us into something new, something more like the love revealed in the person of Jesus? So this upcoming Lent 2021, we'll be talking a lot about baptism, about rebirth into something new. And as we remember our baptism, we move to trust that God's overwhelming love, a love that's demonstrated in the person of Jesus, can transform us as well. That God's work of reconciling all things to God's self includes you. That you are made righteous, joined to Christ, clothed in glory, and set free to walk in newness of life. Free to encounter Christ in new ways, and in all circumstances, and free to be transformed daily to respond with love. God has removed the veil that blurs our vision, that prevents us from seeing who God is and what God is up to in the world. And what a gift it is to see clearly the love of God at work in the world and in ourselves. The good news of Christ transforms us into righteousness, and God's love frees us to be transformed. We need not just wait for the hope of new life and resurrection, suspended in a period of never-ending Lent. God's love breaks in through the clouds, through the pandemic, through your own unique struggles and circumstances. God's gift of new life and resurrection is given to us in love each and every single day. Amen. Mm -hmm.